One of the best things for me from Wednesday was seeing young lives especially yield to the Spirit of God. And in particular, it reminded me of when I finally decided to yield 20-some years ago in a church service. And I had somebody speak some words over me. And for some reason, even though I had grown up in the church, I had been to church and I had been to camp and all sorts of things, but for some reason there was something about that moment that it was just different. I just, it felt different. The spirit felt different. And when you have the opportunity to see that feeling among the next generations coming up, it's overwhelming and it's exciting. And it both draws you back to your own experiences and it gives you confidence that, you know what, God actually knows what he's doing. Amen. Last week I said, you know, God, God doesn't need us to do his job. He doesn't need us to save him or save his word. He actually knows what he's doing. And he wants to partner with us. Sometimes I say, why? Because we have a tendency to screw things up and to make it about us. When you see the work of the Spirit, it's always overwhelming. Today we're talking about an important idea, yielding. It's a word that we don't often like to think about. It has a variety of meanings. When you think of that word yield, it can mean things like to concede or comply with, to submit. When you yield, sometimes you admit what is true, or to yield can, be, can involve giving up a demand, or a right, or a claim. Even though we don't like to think about it, yielding is actually an idea or a concept that is all throughout our society. It's actually baked into a lot of what we do without even realizing it. We see things like yield signs, or hopefully we do. Every time you drive, you see you see limit lines and yield markers where you're supposed to stop so that you don't run into pedestrians. There is trail etiquette when you go out in nature about the rules of the trail, about who is supposed to yield to whom. And if you're a horse, good luck. <laughs> in certain kinds of discourse or debates, you'll hear speakers say, I yield back the balance of my time. You give back the remaining time that you have to speak so that someone else can speak or someone can take your place. If you are in baseball, to yield up runs to the other team is not a good thing. And some teams are very good at yielding up runs. Sorry, Oakland, this year. And yield can even have a more negative connotation, something that we're not to yield to, like the old hymn. You know, we've been singing some, some, they remind me of, uh, like you were saying, the revival hymns, like you're in a tent revival. And there's an old hymn called, Yield Not to Temptation. 
<laughs> I know. I won't. I won't. I won't uh, sing the rest of it. It's. Uh, but one of the things that's cool about some of the old hymns is that, yes, you might think, man, they got a lot of verses, but they tell a story through those verses about what that leads to when we don't yield to temptation. There is also a thread of yielding that is woven all throughout the Bible. We're going to look at just a couple of verses today in Matthew chapter 5. And in that chapter, if you have a Bible or you have it on your phone, the call to yield is not to yield to what would harm us, but to yield to what would lead us to be more like Christ. I'm going to read two verses in Matthew 5, the first two verses. It says this, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. That's all I'm going to read this morning. Sometimes I read long sections this this week, two verses. We know that Matthew 5 is the start of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, where for multiple chapters he teaches his early disciples a whole bunch of stuff. It's been described as Jesus' discipleship manual, or a how-to live life in the kingdom of God. And Jesus begins Matthew 5 with, with a bunch of radical, well, we would say radical statements, including people who many would consider the last or the least, the pushovers and the pitiful, the weak and the wimps, and Jesus calls them blessed. Blessed are. If you've read that before, or sometimes there's a little heading in your Bible, it'll say the Beatitudes. Jesus teaches that we should aim for those characteristics if we want to experience the blessing or the full blessing of the kingdom of God. And what Jesus reveals here and continuing on for three chapters is about living in radically new and different ways from what we often live in the world. Humility, righteousness, mercy, pure hearts, peacemakers. Life in God's kingdom, as Jesus teaches, should look different than the rest of the world. There is plenty of evidence that this is what we are to aim for, and yet we know that we miss the mark. That's, that's what sin is. We miss the mark. Nevertheless, we keep on aiming for this, not just in our personal lives, but in our shared life together as a community. We're supposed to be a kingdom-minded and oriented community, the kingdom of God. And this is only possible when we learn to yield to God and one another. Now, there are a lot of challenges to yielding. We're very aware of this. Yielding is one of Jesus' hardest teachings to accept. It challenges cultural values, especially in this country. We are Americans, 
in this country, we do not yield. We do not concede. We do not step back. That's what we're often taught. Don't back down. Stand firm, or even better yet, advance. To yield is seen as weakness, something to exploit. If you give somebody an inch, they'll take a mile. We all know that, or you've heard that before. It doesn't matter if we're wrong or if there's a better way. This is why we see so many people doubling down on lies, bad ideas, questionable morality, and engaging in gray area ethics because we don't like to yield even if we know we're wrong. Unyielding. And yet we read the words of Jesus and we say, Jesus, what you're calling us to do is radical. You're calling us to go against some of the very cultural fibers that we learn in this country and in our lives. Yielding can be scary because it can make us vulnerable. If I turn the cheek, I am exposed to your hand. I might get hurt. If I give in, I might be taken advantage of. Now I want to pause to say a few things that the church has regularly misused yielding or submitting, turning it into a weapon of oppression, and this is something that Jesus never wanted or intended. Jesus never wanted his words or other Bible passages to be taken out of context and used to justify things like keeping people enslaved, using bad theology to exert power over other people. There have been wrong and terrible applications of yielding throughout history, both past and present. Yielding or submitting was is and was used to strip indigenous people in this country of their culture, forcing young boys and girls to cut their hair and go to American schools and things like that. And the name of God was used to justify that, and that is wrong. Yielding has been used to forcibly convert people, and it's also been justified to keep women and children in abusive situations. And that's not right either. These are all wrong and we have to acknowledge the pain that yielding or submitting has caused to many people. So of course, people have a problem with yielding, especially when the church has done it poorly or badly. Under the weight of just these few examples, yielding doesn't seem like the safe thing to do. Jesus, you want me to do what? You want to give me to give up my life? And yet this is what Jesus calls us to do, to yield, but to yield in the right and proper ways that God intends, and that is to yield first to him. See, we like to think of yielding or submitting in the context of other people as a way to exert power over people. But God is saying, no, I want you to yield first 
to me. It's actually how you will learn how to yield mutually to one another over time. This is something that we have to learn how to do. This is what makes Jesus' teaching here so different than all of the earthly examples and the twisted forms of submission that we see. Slavery, abuse, oppressive systems. Jesus is calling each of us to yield ourselves to him. To the one that we put our trust in. The one who is trustworthy. So yes, yielding is both difficult and oh so important for us, my friends. Yielding is where we learn that it is not our power at all, but God's. Yielding is where we learn that if we are to be Christ's witnesses in the world, yielding is how we show obedience to God and begin to live in a kingdom-oriented community. I believe Matthew 5 actually helps us to develop this right posture. This series has all been about becoming deeply rooted in prayer. So how do we develop a yielded posture, or what does that look like? I'm going to offer, suggest three things. None of these are rocket science. The first, what does a yielded posture look like? It looks like looking up to Jesus. Matthew 5, 1 says, He went up on a mountainside and sat down. At this point in Jesus' earthly ministry, he was growing in influence as his name was spreading. People came from all over, and these were people who were in bad shape. They needed help. They needed healing. Many of them had little to no hope until news of this person arrived in their ears, a healer, someone who knew everything about people and could transform lives. And so Jesus goes up on the mountainside and he's able to see all of the crowds. In other places, when Jesus looked at the crowds, how does it say he responded? He had compassion upon them when he sees people. But more importantly, they can see him. All the crowds needed to do to begin to have their life start to be transformed was to look up. Look up to Jesus. Psalm 121 declares, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. We even sing songs about it. Some of you even have that memorized. So look up. Keep your eyes on Jesus. If you want to have a yielded posture in prayer, you have to keep your eyes on Christ. Now many things can block our view or cloud our vision. Sometimes it's our own sin. It's unforgiveness. It could be pride. Even our own egos get in the way. And sometimes we believe that we aren't worthy. And all of these can keep us or keep our eyes from staying fixed on Christ. In your own life, you might have to move some things out of the way if you want to keep your eyes on Christ. 
You might need to remove some distractions from your life that are actually keeping your eyes off of Christ. A yielded posture in prayer means we keep looking to Jesus. That's at least the first step. Second, if we want to adopt a yielded posture through prayer, we must recognize the authority of Jesus Christ. Not just a little authority or minor authority, but total, complete authority of Jesus Christ over our lives. When Jesus sat down, it says his disciples came to him. We do not yield to anyone that we don't think is worthy of yielding to. Or someone that we don't believe deserves our submission. If we are to yield to Christ, we must recognize his authority over our lives. Now, Jesus had already begun and been demonstrating his authority in so many ways. In fact, at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of chapter 7, it says, after Jesus had said all these things, the people were amazed because Jesus was teaching as one who had authority. And then it says, unlike all of the other teachers of the law that they had. Jesus had been demonstrating his authority as the Son of God by teaching and healing, performing signs and wonders. And when the disciples came to him, they come close. He will teach them how to live in the kingdom of God because he is their teacher. They recognize his authority. Now today, teachers or leaders typically as a sign of authority, they stand, or they stand in front, or you're in a class, where's the teacher usually at? They're at the front and they're standing. But in Jesus's day, it was different. Sitting was the posture of authoritative teaching. So when Jesus sits on the ground up on that mountainside, he invites people to gather around to listen and learn he's saying I have authority in this moment if you truly recognize the authority of Jesus Christ over all then yield yourself to him as we sang willingly he is the only one who can guide you into all truth with wisdom and grace and mercy he will lead you he will correct you, he will restore you, and he will always love you. One of the most powerful symbols and practices of this is kneeling or bowing. Sometimes in the Bible, it will even use the word prostrating. What does prostrating mean? Literally, face down on the ground in the presence of the Lord. And if you have ever kneeled or bowed or prostrated yourself, there is something powerful in actually having your body physically act in response to the work of God. If bowing before an earthly king was a sign of respect, how much more then should we bow before the king of kings? A lot of people learn to pray by kneeling next to their bed. Or if you're in a, uh, a traditional church sanctuary, some churches have kneeling benches 
that you can kneel. Some people are used to that tradition every week. Some people bow their heads when they pray, or they clasp their hands in a sign of respect and reverence. It's a physical act and sign that actually reminds you that you aren't God, that you aren't the teacher, you are the student, the apprentice. It's an act of lowering oneself, an external recognition of the importance of our internal posture before the Lord Jesus Christ. When I kneel, I acknowledge my yieldness to God. I acknowledge his rule over me, my life, and my situations. So if we want to develop a a yielded posture in prayer, we must look to Jesus, we must recognize his authority, and finally, we get to the other word. We must submit to his teaching. Verse 2 is a very short one. And he began to teach them. Just like those first disciples, once you look to Jesus, once you recognize his authority in your life, then you must also submit to his teaching. And as I said before, and maybe even especially as Americans, this is also hard because we don't want to do that to anyone. Not even to God sometimes. You and I are not the teacher. Do we come to Jesus to be taught like his disciples and the crowds did on that day? Do we come to be taught or to confirm or affirm what we already think we know or believe or want Jesus to say? See, when we come to Jesus to be taught, we have to come with no agenda. Otherwise, we're just waiting to hear the word that confirms what we already believe or think. It's hard to come to Jesus with no agenda. Let's be honest. But when you come to be taught, it signals that you actually believe that you have more to learn. That there is more for you to gain so that you can continue to grow and mature. When you read the rest of Matthew 5, and I really would encourage you to read 5, 6, and 7 sometime this week, but in the rest of chapter 5, six times just in this chapter, Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Jesus actually reinterprets everything that the people thought that they knew. He says, yeah, you know the commandment, do not murder. But I say to you, if you have anger in your heart, you have already committed murder. And he goes on and on and on in six different examples. You have heard that it was said, but I tell you, yielding is how we receive Jesus' teaching with an open mind and heart. Because what we hear may challenge what we think we know. How many times have you believed something and then if you take a step back, you think, I'm not even sure why, how I learned that or why I believe what we believe. You might have even heard somebody say, well, that's just the way it's always been. Or that's just what we do. Or that's just how we think. The words of Jesus might actually be calling you 
to something else. A yielded posture means we come with no agenda. Some of you have had this experience before you, you go to the Lord in prayer, and what he says is not what you want to hear. And sometimes when that's been me, my first response has been, really, Lord? Or something like, but what about this? Where we look for the loophole. When all we really need to do in that moment is to listen. To listen to God who says, be still and know that I am God. What Jesus says might not be what you want to hear but exactly what you need to hear. This is how the disciples came to Jesus in this part of Matthew. No agenda, simply wanting to learn how to live life in his kingdom. They were novices at this, just starting out. They had no idea. Sometimes we think we have all the answers. I don't know, the the older I get, the less answers I realize I have. Sometimes I feel like I get dumber as I get older. Or I just, maybe I'm just more willing to admit my mistakes. I don't know. Some of my mistakes. Not all. When we do the same, no agenda. When we just say, Lord, I'm here. Teach me what you want to teach me. I'm open. That is a yielded posture. That's kingdom living. Someone who always is growing and learning in Christ how to be more like Christ. That's why yielding to Jesus is so important. I would say it's essential. Sitting at the feet of the Master will never lead you astray. Sitting at the feet of other people may lead you astray. We always need to test what we hear. Now, you may have questions when you sit at the feet of Jesus. You may wonder why you believe the way that you do, but submitting to his teaching might even change your mind about what you think you know. So the question we end this morning with is this, and I submit myself to it as well. What teaching of Jesus, it's on the back of your bulletin, do you need to yield to? Maybe maybe you actually need to add an S to teaching there's probably plural I would imagine for most of us what have I been resisting what is difficult for me to accept because it's different from what I learned growing up Matthew 5 begins with Jesus teaching a new way of living and looking at the world than what people had previously understood he's speaking to his people here His people who had been walking in the ways of God, so they thought, for hundreds and thousands of years. And Jesus is then saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Here's the good news for us, though. Yes, yield does mean to concede, to submit, to give up, to give up our demands or rights. But it can also mean things like a return for your labor or investment. It can also mean things like probable growth or producing a harvest. You see, yield is not, doesn't seem all bad. It's used in a lot of different ways. 
those who adopt a yielded posture in the way of Jesus, don't merely concede or giving in. When you yield to Christ, you're not conceding or giving in. You're actually becoming recipients of a harvest. A harvest that Christ will produce in you and me and the church. A harvest that bears fruit as God forms us to be like Christ. It yields a wonderful harvest. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and sometimes the hardest one, self-control. This fruit helps us to yield to one another in the best ways, my friends. It helps us to build a community that actually mirrors the kingdom of God that Jesus is describing in these chapters. It's part of our prayer that Jesus teaches us. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Or as it is already done in heaven. Yielded in prayer. Yielded in life. Yielded within a community that glorifies God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I'm aware that this is not a popular word, especially in our culture. And we are sorry for the ways that we have misused this. Used it to keep people down. When your purpose in yielding to you is that you would raise us up just as you did your son. God, I pray that your spirit will speak mightily to each one here, showing us what we need to do to yield to you. There might be an area of our life that's coming to our mind, an area that we have just consistently tried not to think about, something that keeps pulling us back in. Lord, will you help us to lay it down before you, to yield all of ourselves to you so that you can pour into us all that you would have in store for us. Just as your word says in John 10 that we might be able to have a taste of life, the abundant life and life to the full. God, there's something freeing when we're able to release things and live in your way. I pray that you help us to do that. Father, may you receive all praise and honor and glory this day and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, Amen. Amen. I want to read just what Jesus says just after the section that we read this morning. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Church, as you go, may God bless you. 
May he give you peace, and may you go to love and serve the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great week.